Hello, Goldmine readers and now listeners. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine, and welcome to the second podcast of February 2018. For this podcast, we'll be interviewing author Bill Kopp for his book, Reinventing Pink Floyd, From Sid Barrett to the Dark Side of the Moon. There's a forward by Jerry Shirley of Humble Pie. And this is a great book, especially for those hardcore Pink Floyd fans who who really want to know what happened for in the transition from Sid Barrett to David Gilmore. And we do have an excerpt from this book in the new issue of March 2018, the print edition of Goldmine, which is in stores at Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and record stores, select stores. So pick that up and check it out. It's very good. You'll get a glimpse inside what this book is about. But we're going to talk to Bill Kopp in a few minutes, and we're going to get more insights. So if you're a Pink Floyd fan, you should stay tuned. We'll be right back after this message with Bill Kopp. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine. The Music Collector's Magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. I want to welcome the readers. Um, this is Bill Kopp, and his ec- the excerpt to his book, Reinventing Pink Floyd, is on our new issue, our March issue. And Bill, welcome. Welcome to the Goldmine Podcast. Thanks, Pat. I appreciate it. And in your new book, uh, Reinventing Pink Floyd, you talk about the transition of guitarists from Sid Barrett to, to David Gilmore. Such a different style there in both of them. And I think you found out as a music historian just what an enigma Sid Barrett was, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, very very much so. I mean, uh, I remember one of the uh, people that I interviewed for it was uh, Davey O'List, who was the guitarist in The Nice, and then very, very briefly, years later, uh, the original guitarist in Roxy Music, actually. Mm. But uh, he was talking about Sid's style, and I can't remember if he used the word savant or not. Yes. But uh, basically, he talked about you know, just the the approach that Sid had to the guitar was, you know, I mean, it, it, was, it was wonderful, but it was completely, completely different from David Gilmore's approach. Oh, God. And now, do you believe that story of the band, they're on their way to a gig, you know, and Gilmore is in the van, and they bring up, oh, man, we forgot Sid, let's just forget him. I mean, how much... Yeah, uh, I've heard that. Yeah. I've heard that from a number of different uh, sources. Uh, the one thing that's consistent, which is sort of interesting, is that none of the sources quite nail down who said what. Yes. So one of, them, one of them said, should we pick up Sid? And one of them said, let's not. Maybe it was so, the voice uh, of God. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I, I can really, I mean, I, I, you know, just looking back, I really can feel sorry for them because they, yeah. they really did try. They really tried yeah, they did. to go the five-piece route. In fact, they considered doing something sort of like what the Beach Boys did with Brian Wilson or... Um, on a slightly right. less dysfunctional level, what Proko Haram did with Keith Reed, yeah. just having a, a songwriter who stayed home and wrote the material. Um, right. It just wasn't wasn't to be. I don't know if that was Sid, quite frankly. I, 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 it was. <laughs> he's such an enigma, and I think that um, 
you know, first of all, I think they were relieved, right? After they had said that, let's not. Yeah. I mean, because there was a lot of hand-holding, and I don't think they could take his erratic behavior anymore. But then, after he left, they helped him, and you cover this a lot in, in the chapter you let us use in the magazine, about how what they went through. They went above the call of duty to help him with his solo albums. And they, they really did. A lot of people who are, are really hardcore Sid fans prefer uh, the first album that Sid did, The yes. Madcap Laughs. For, for, from, from my point of view, I actually prefer the second one, Barrett. Mm. And part of the reason is that uh, it had the, the guiding hand of, of David Gilmore right. really uh, bringing a sense of order to, you know, if you can use that word, yeah. uh, to uh, to the sessions and really coaxing the best performances out of Sid and, as it turned out, the last ones um, of any consequence that uh, we would ever get. Yeah, and having them there in the studio helping him, I mean, it seemed like such a weird dynamic going on there, emotionally, creatively. I just, um, you know, I almost felt like, thank God I wasn't there. You know, it was... <laughs> It had to be very awkward, um, and it felt like it. You ha- you did a great job of capturing capturing that sort of tension um, that was there and awkwardness, um, which was great. Well, well, thank you. I mean, it's uh, it's worth remembering that uh, you know David Gilmore had known Sid yes. from when they were teenagers, so this wasn't just uh, someone that he was briefly in a band with right he was they were they, they were longtime friends and uh as um as, as i found out later it, it turns out that sid had actually sat in a couple times with uh david gilmore's previous band the joker's wild uh right. early on in you know recordings of that we're talking about oh gosh you know 64 65 or something right. but uh so they, they went back a long way and i think it was really tough on them as as individuals to see their friend go through this, uh, you know, in, in the moment, it was probably really, really annoying and, and very frustrating. Right. Hey, we've got a record deal and, and you're just a mess. But, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously, well, we, we know it, it certainly haunted Roger Waters. He, he uh, created a whole lot of material out of his, yes, he did. Out of his uh, feelings about all that. I'm sure some of it was guilt, maybe with Gilmore, you know, wanting to repay Sid or feeling like he owed Sid something or... I don't know. It's it's there was probably a, a range of emotions going on there, because I know he sure. really it, felt it, felt for him. Yeah, it's 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 also worth remembering that these were guys in their very very early twenties when all this was happening. Yeah, these yeah. were these were maybe not maybe not Good kids, point. but you know young 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 adults, and so um, yeah, it was tough and, and confusing and frustrating. I mean, you know, in any other time period in the history of uh, the the music business if uh, you lost your your lead uh you know your lead songwriter and the, the right. face of the band the label would tell you well good luck goodbye yeah you're not making any more records and um that's not what happened here yeah in fact ironically they excelled they matured it took them a few albums but by the time you get to dark side of the moon you know, from Dark Side to the Wall, those are some of the finest rock albums in history. Uh, they truly, they yeah. truly reinvented themselves, and one yep. could definitely argue for the better. Um, even though, like you said, there are 
fans of the early Pink Floyd. I'm one myself, but I I admit I'm a bigger fan of the when Roger Waters took over creatively. I just think they matured so much. Um, And Sid, like you said, had a hand in that too because they were sort of mourning his creative death, right? Or his his, uh, creative... uh, He wasn't involved in the band anymore. Right, right, he wasn't. Right. My personal favorite period is probably 71, 72, uh, the, the long-form uh, pieces that they were doing live. But I, I, I love it all. I really yeah. Do you think that uh, Sid, in a way, was relieved that he was on his own now doing solo stuff? Um, you know, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, relieved may not quite be the right word. Something, something like it, though. Liberated? Uh, you know, what's it? Yeah, yeah, possibly. What's interesting is, um, you know, in fairly short order, he quit music altogether, but continued to express himself creatively as, right. as an artist, as a as a painter. Right. So, you know, uh, someone asked me not that long ago, you know, well, what do you think it would have been like had somehow in some theoretical world where Sid stayed in the band? Yeah. And and I thought about it for a second, and, and I said, you know, I think if he had stayed in the band. He wouldn't have stayed in the band. I, right. I think he I agree. Probably, even had he not had the the the, the mental issues, I think he probably yeah. would have just. I agree. You know, quit mu- quit music. So I think I yeah. think personally that he was he was in search of his creative self while he was in the band, and I think he found out eventually, you know, going through the solo projects, that this wasn't his creative outlet. I think he he finally found it eventually with painting. And, you yeah. know, paintings, you know, all involved with solitude, whereas with the band, you have to get creative input from all these other sources. I, th- I think he eventually found himself creatively. It just took some time. I think so. Yeah. And his paintings, I've never really got... Have you gone through his paintings? Do you, do you like them? I'm, you... I, I mean, I've, I've seen some of them. I've seen a number of them. And, and yeah, they're, they're, um, they're not... They're they're not what I would call psychedelic, you know, right. which is you know what, what someone might just sort of guess if they hadn't seen them. Um, but you know, uh, I, when it comes to criticism, I try to stick to music. So um, <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, it seems to me like you know, obviously Sid was um, he was suffering from a, you know a mental illness. I don't know if it's been you know quite diagnosed. Um, but do you think at some level, some of it was an act? Um, some of it was sort of like, I'm not saying Andy Kaufman type thing, but, uh, you know, like Mick Rock talked about when he, he'd see him sometimes and he was like, there was total clarity. And, you know, he, he'd show up at his house and he was just sort of acting. It was like putting on a show. You know, he painted the floor and, you know. Um, right. I suppose that's a possibility. I mean, I, you know, obviously, you know, there, there's not much point in trying to diagnose from, from afar and over the, the region right. of time. I, but I will say, uh, in talking to Jerry Shirley, uh, who, uh, you know, the humble pie drummer right. who actually wrote the foreword of the book and um, uh, plays on both of Sid's albums, um, he told me some stories about uh, where they would. Um, be, they'd be headed out for the evening, 
and uh, Sid would be absolutely, completely fine, like there wasn't a thing in the world wrong with him. And then um, suddenly when he'd get in a crowd, it was as if someone had flipped the switch and he would be just completely different, completely uncommunicative. Um, I could see how, again, you know, if you try to, if we could try to imagine being exposed to that through the perspective of uh, us being in our early 20s, right. that could look like that could look like an act right. when, in fact, it, it uh, might have been something uh, psychological. You know, and, and, and you know, I mean, it's hard enough to tell the difference now. I don't know that I would have been able to tell the difference. You know that many if I you know that many years ago in my own life if I had been exposed to that so it's hard to say I mean I, I certainly wouldn't discount that as a possibility. My sense is that it wasn't an act. But right. Who, who knows? Right. I I don't really think it was either. I'm just sort of bringing it up because what you described there sure. sounds like a bipolar type um, diagnosis, but we'll never know. But. Right. But I was what, doing my best to skirt around that word. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but what what I'm talking is about like when they when he shows up at the studio for Wish You Were Here and he's totally transformed into he looks so different and he shaved yeah. his eyebrows. You know that can be conceived as maybe he was messing with them or something. Um, uh, you know, what's, I'll tell you one other thing, and, and believe it or not, I can't remember if this made it into the book or not. But uh, in my interview with uh, Willie Wilson, who yeah. was as close to the band as anybody, having and he was one of the uh, surrogate band in the Wall, um, he was he was there during the Wish You Were Here sessions when Sid showed up. Yeah. And one thing he told me, and again, I'm not sure if I put this in the book, that didn't happen one time. Sid showed up a number of times. Yes. Yeah. But, um, and, and they didn't, uh, you know, at first they didn't, they didn't recognize him, didn't know who he was. Um, but he would just come in and he would uh, bring his own sandwich and he would sit in the commissary and eat lunch when they were there. And, um, um, I, they got the impression that this was just sort of a, you know, kind of a, a, a grubby right. guy because he was kind of overweight and yeah, it looked like me, not not very not very clean or anything. And right. uh, uh, it, it, they, all the accounts I mean, that I've heard, I don't get the impression that it was any sort of a no, no, he wasn't but, having them on or anything. Oh yeah, taking a piss, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Only because one of the answers he gave him seemed uh, where they said, "How do you like the music?" And he didn't he say like something like, "It sounds a bit dated" or something like it's done been I done. I believe so. Yeah, yeah that to <laughs> me sounds like he was definitely <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> messing with them. Um, right. But it is an interesting story, man, and uh, your book yeah. captures that. And I hope that our listeners, our readers, pick it up. Um, you know, it. I don't know what's next on your plate. I don't know if you're going to be continuing Pink Floyd as a subject. Um, I I know you'll be promoting this, so that's going to bring take up a lot of your time. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually uh, beginning work on another project, which is about as far from Pink Floyd as you can imagine. But it's uh, interesting. It's it's still it's still music history kind of stuff. I mean, that's that's what I do. Well, we look forward to it, and thanks for taking. Okay taking the time to uh come on the podcast here oh my pleasure i really appreciate it thanks a lot okay thank you bill thanks for taking the time for the interview i'm sure all pink floyd fans would love to check out the book they probably liked what you were talking about that's reinventing pink floyd 
from Sid Barrett to the Dark Side of the Moon. And that's out now. It's by Bill Kopp, forward by Jerry Shirley of Humble Pie. And also, don't forget to pick up the March issue that has an excerpt from this book, and you'll get a glimpse of what it's all about. Uh, if you didn't already from the interview, you'll get to see it in writing. Um, and we also have a lot of other good stuff about Pink Floyd. And also, a fun thing, how to sync the dark side of the moon with the Wizard of Oz. So check your Barnes & Noble stores, check your Books A Million stores, and check out your local indie record stores. This is Pat Prince signing off. Don't forget to go to goldminemag.com where you can find other exclusives. And also you can subscribe and get a percentage off the cover price. Thank you and talk to you next time. Bye now.